Hello, and welcome to Wandering the Edge, a podcast about Ukrainian history without a spot of travel. I'm your host, Larissa, and because Russia has invaded my homeland, the travel portion of this podcast has has to be skipped. And of course, the usual introductions. Um, I may swear in this episode, and if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Podcast, uh, Podcast Addict, uh, please leave a review or just rate it. You can also find us on a number of streaming sites, including but not limited to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, and of course, our website, Wandering the Edge, where you can check out any of the previous episodes and sources. Now, before we begin, um, I should probably say a big thank you to some of my listeners out there. I know it's been like forever and I'm only doing this now. I suck and I'm sorry. First off, um, to one of my first listeners, Mary Trach, thank you for constantly supporting me. You are awesome. Uh, next, I want to say uh, thank you and hello to Stanislav Nastenko, uh, Clarita Ambrose, and Adam Johnson. Thanks for the messages, guys, and keep them coming. So this episode will be about the dumbest decision of the wisest of our medieval rulers, how Yaroslav Mudri, a.k.a. Yaroslav the Wise, structured his succession and how his sons all fought each other for the throne of cave one son even had his own adventures throughout europe because of it and so now let's delve back to some medieval stupidity among a couple of brothers So in 1054, the great Yaroslav the Wise died in his palace north of Kiev in Vizhorod, which has recently been bombed heavily by Russia. We can't have anything old in Ukraine because Russia just destroys it all. Uh, Anyway, he probably died from old age as he was 76, which back then was old, I guess. But before he died, he wrote his last will and testament and said this to his kids, quote, my sons. I am about to quit this world. Love one another. Since ye are brothers by one father and mother, if you abide in an amenity with one another, God will dwell among you and will subject your enemies to you, and ye will live at peace. But if ye dwell in envy and dissension, quarreling with one another, then ye will perish yourselves and bring to ruin the land of your ancestors, which they won at the price of great effort. Wherefore, remain rather at peace. Brother heeding brother, the throne of cave I bequeath to my oldest son, your brother Eziaslav. Heed him as ye have heeded me, that he may take my place among you. To Sviatoslav I give Chernihiv, to Stavolod Pereslav, to, uh, to Ihor, the city of Vlodmed, and to Vyacheslav Smolensk. So he basically split up his kingdom based on importance of the city-states. The eldest brother got cave while the rest got the others. Now, why would he do this? Well, probably because he remembered his own history and path to the throne. His father, Voldemort Veliki, or Voldemort the Great, had 12, that's right, 12 sons. Two predeceased him, a third, Sviatopolk, and fourth, Yaroslav, and the fifth, Mstislav, had a 20-year war to see who would succeed him in ruling their father's kingdom. And it was finally won in 1036 when Mstislav died and Yaroslav took the key of throne. Now, that 20-year ro- uh, war also included the murder of the other brothers, Bodis and Hlib, who are now saints because of something. 
I don't know. They awarded the Saint title Fairly Liberty back there. Anyway, both of them were assassinated by Sviatopolk, who died himself in 1019, and that's how Yaroslav gained Kiev, but sort of had to wait until 1036 to secure the rest of his empire. I told you in previous episodes that medieval Ukrainian history is a fucked up Games of Thrones. Anywho, in order to prevent this fratricide from occurring again, Yaroslav thought it would be a great idea to place the stupid succession idea onto paper. Basically, he tried to order his succession and make everyone happy. But, well, human nature is such that no one is ever truly happy. His solution was to group his kingdom into five patrimonies ruled by his sons, um, and the sixth, uh, Polotsk, ruled by his brother. The eldest son would become the grand prince, i.e. king of Kiev. And when he died, the other brothers, according to their order, would become the king of Kiev next. I mean, if you wanted to prevent fratricide, not sure if this was the way to do it. But at the same time, each son would rule his own land and build up his own dynasty on those lands. I've already I've already mentioned which kid got what among uh, along with the random brother, but his most western lands, Halichina, uh, were ruled by the Rostislav dynasty. Rostislav was Yaroslav's grandson. What this lateral succession meant was that when the Grand Prince, a.k.a. the Cave King, died, the seat of ultimate power didn't go to his son, but rather to the first brother according to the order of rank of the seven principalities. I will let uh, Robert Paul Robert Magoshi describe the problems with the system. Quote, In theory, only after all the brothers from one generation had passed from the scene did the next generation have its turn beginning with the eldest son of the original Grand Prince. The principle of lateral or horizontal succession to the cave and realm as a whole clashed, however, with the practice of vertical succession from father to son that was allowed in each of the local principalities, where a prince, more often than not, strove both to retain his individual patrimony and to obtain the title of Grand Prince of Kiev, end quote. And, you know, a very messed up and after a few decades, stupidly complicated succession system. Anyway, Yaroslav dies. Everyone is sad and only his son Sevalod is by his side because he was apparently one of his favorites. I guess Yaroslav died in the winter because his body was taken to Kiev via sled and laid to rest in the marble sarcophagus in the Church of St. Sophia. And if you are in Kiev, check it out. It's still there. See, travel options for you after all. Anyway, Sevalod, however, was not always the favorite. That title apparently went to his oldest son, Voldemort. Now, there's not that much about him, but we do know he was born in 1020 and led his father's cavalry pretty regularly. For example, in 1042, he led his cavalry on a campaign against the Eastern Finnish tribe occupying the region north of Lake Onas. I do not know where that is. Google it if you want. He was unsuccessful, mainly due to the mass death of his horses, which are sort of important in a cavalry. It was so bad that the primary chronicle even wrote about it in this way, quote, The horses of Voldemort's soldiery died, and they tore the skins off the horses while the latter were still breathing, so violent was the plague from which the animals suffered, end quote. Sure. Now, the next year, he had another disaster during his campaign against Constantinople, in which a large large fleet was destroyed. He was probably killed in 1052 because of that. 
Before his death, he ruled Novhorod and built the St. Sophia Cathedral there, and it's apparently where he's also buried. It was his son, Rostislav, who gradually found himself in Halichina and established his principality there. I mean, reading the limited information on him, Voldemort wasn't the brightest of the kids, but he died before Yaroslav, so he's sort of inconsequential to the, this discussion. Just wanted to add him because of the horses. I also wanted to point out that the stupid rules of, of succession with him and his son, Rostislav. Rostislav could rule Novhorod as his father's successor, but could not rule Kiev because his father predeceased his grandfather, a.k.a. Yaroslav, and thus never actually ruled Kiev. Your butt had to be on the seat in order for your kids to rule. There were also two other brothers who were mentioned in Yaroslav's will, Vyacheslav and Ihor. Vyacheslav was born in either 1033 or 1036, and he was the prince of Smolensk after his father passed. That's it. That's all we know. He may have had a son, but not 100% sure it was his, and he died in 1059. The other son, Ihor, was born in 1036, and he was the prince of Voldemir in Volinia. And his wife was probably the daughter of some Saxon lord or something. When his brother Vyacheslav died, he moved his principality to Smolensk. But when he himself died in 1060, his sons David and Sevolod were excluded from inheriting his thrones. And so caused a lot of shit among the rest of the family. See episode 41 about Voldemir Monomach because he had to deal with the results of their bickering for like 20 years after all this shit went down. Anyway, after all of this, this led to three brothers who all ruled fairly close together. Iziaslav and Kiev, um, Sviatoslav, who ruled from Chernihiv, and Sevolod, who ruled in Pereyaslav, literally all like within a 100 kilometer radius. And it worked fairly well, until it didn't. For you see, Iziaslav spent a lot of time and campaign against the Estonians. Plus, I think he sort of knew he needed his brother's help to keep his southern borders stable and was always hesitant to restrain them. For example, Sevolod kept on managing to defeat the Turks in, um, in the south. He also supported Sviatoslav's ambitions and forced Iziaslav to rule in accordance with his two brothers. That is why some historians have suggested they had a triumph for it, but not really. I mean, sometimes, yes. Like in 1059, all three brothers released their uncle Sudislav from prison. He was put there by Yaroslav, his brother. And technically given the principality of Pskov, but they forced him to become a monk and he wisely became one and died in Kiev in the monastery of St. George in 1063. In 1060, however... When their other brother, Ihor, died in Smolensk, they should have divided the principality among his descendants. But they didn't. What they did do was give Sevolod Smolensk itself. The Vyatichi area, which is around there somewhere, was given to Sviatoslav. And Iziaslav got an insignificant portion of whatever was left. So basically, it was Sevolod's world. We all just sort of lived in it. Oh, I shit. I forgot. Um, to add that Iziaslav was the oldest, born in 1054, then came Sviatoslav, born in 1027, and then Sevolod, who was born in 1030. They all shared a mother, Ingegard, Ingegard uh, Olofsdotter, from Sweden, 
who also gave birth to all of his other kids, four daughters and six sons, which was a lot. And they all surprisingly made it to adulthood. Anyway, back to the three sons. Their co-rule was broken in 1068 when Cave revolted against Easyoslav. It all started when Sevilla defeated all of those tribes in the south. But this allowed a new group of nomads to occupy the steppes, the Pulovtsi, who will be a pain in Cave's butt for a few decades after this. In 1061, the Pulosi invaded and were met with Sevilla's armies, who were defeated by the pagans, but they pretty much retreated after besieging Pereyaslav. I don't know why. In 1068, the huge Pulovtsian army came back, and the three brothers met them at the Alta River and were defeated. Again, Sviatoslav fled to Chernihiv, and Izyaslav and Sevilla fled to Kiev, and the Pulovtsian army pillaged the region and began threatening the capital itself. The Cavans then held a meeting and sent the following communication to their king, quote, The Polotians have spread over the country. Oh, prince, give us arms and horses that we may offer them combat once more, end quote. But Isyaslav ignored that, and, well, the people got pretty pissed off. Half of the mob went to the king's hall and began threatening him and his retinue. The other half went to the prison to free Seslav the great-grandson of Voldemort the Great, and maybe uncle to Ezioslav. God, I don't know. He was some sort of family. And he ruled Polotsk before threatening Cave and being captured by Ezioslav in 1067 and taken to prison in Cave. Anyway, the mob freed him, placed him on the throne, looted the palace, and then Ezioslav fled the capital and Sevalod fled back to Pereyaslav. Anyway, the people of Kiev wanted a direct Voldemort descendant to rule them rather than a Yaroslav one. And so they went with that guy. Ezioslav then fled to Poland, where he had sort of family. Seeing as the king there, Boleslav II, was married to his niece, Vyacheslava, the daughter of Sviatoslav. More importantly, the people of Kiev collectively acted against a ruler who acted against his own family, his uncle or whatever, failed against the Pulovtsi and failed to arm the Cavans themselves when they demanded it for self-protection. So, you know, we learned early on to demand shit from our rulers and then revolt when we didn't get it. Again, how the fuck are you supposed to rule Ukrainians? We've been stubborn assholes since the medieval times. Anyway, back to the three amigos. So, Ezioslav is expelled from Kiev. And so he turns to his kinship network in Europe and flees to Poland to the Piast court of Boleslav II. This was because Boleslav and Izyaslav were also cousins. Way back in 1043, Izyaslav's father, Yaroslav the Wise, and Boleslav's father, Kazimir I of Poland, made some sort of agreement on parceling land or something. And it was sealed with a double marriage. Casimir, the Polish king, wed Yaroslav's sister, Maria uh, Dobro- Dobroneha, who then had Boleslav. And then Izyaslav, Yaroslav's son, wed Gertrude, Casimir's sister. So nephew cousins? Anyway, some sort of family. 
However, those cavens who chased away Isislav were still in a somewhat weird situation, seeing as that their new king didn't really give a shit about those Polovtians, and it wasn't until Sviatoslav, Isislav's brother, who fled cave, until he managed to stop the Polovtian army on November 1st, 1068, near Snopsk. His army numbered 3,000, while he was opposed by 12,000. Somehow he won, apparently to, uh, due to better organization and more powerful weapons, and the Polovtian threat disappeared for a time. And because I have to talk, because I have the time to talk more, here's a really long quote from the Primary Chronicle on how this happened. Quote, While the Polovtian were ravaging throughout the land of Rus, Sviatoslav was meanwhile in Chernihiv. As soon as the pagans raided around Chernihiv itself, Sviatoslav collected a small force and sallied against them to Snovsk. The Polovtians remarked the approaching troops and marshaled their forces for resistance. When Sviatoslav observed their numbers, he said to his followers, Let us attack, for it is too late for us to seek succor elsewhere. They spurred up their horses, and though the Polovtians had 12,000 men, Sviatoslav won the day with his force of only 3,000. Some of the pagans were killed outright, while others were drowned in the Snovsk, and their prince was captured on November 1st. Sviatoslav thus returned victorious to his city, end quote. A year later, in 1069, Izyaslav came back to Kiev with his Polish family allies to take back his city. Now, I'm again going to quote a lot from the primary chronicle here because, well, I can. And it gives a lot of detailed information about the back and forth that went on with all of these cousins and brothers. So you have Izyaslav and Boleslav marching on Kiev. Seslav gets word and marches out with his army to meet them in Belhorod. I'm honestly not sure which city um, this refers to because it's been changing names a lot. Pavseslav hid at night and fled to Polotsk. And so when the Kavans saw that their prince had fled during the night, they sent messages to Izyaslav's brothers, Sviatoslav and Sevolod, saying, quote, We did wrong in expelling our prince, and now he leads the Poles against us. Return to your father's city. If you refuse to return, then we have no alternative but to burn our city and depart to Greece. Sviatoslav replied, We shall communicate with our brother. If he marches upon you with the poles to destroy you, we shall fight against him and not allow him to destroy our father's city. If his intentions are peaceful, then he shall approach with a small troop. Then the people of Cave would pacify, end quote. And here's the end of this story as told by the Primary Chronicle, who are pretty concise with the storytelling, to be completely honest. Quote, Sviatoslav and Sevolod then sent messages to Izyaslav, announcing that Sevslav had fled and requesting him accordingly not to lead the Poles to attack upon a cave, because no one was really opposing him. They also let it be understood that if he intended to nurse his wrath and destroy the city, they would properly co- they would be properly concerned for their ancestral capital. When Izyaslav received these tidings, he left the Poles and came forward, accompanied only by Boleslav himself and a small Polish escort. He sent his son, Mstislav, ahead of him into cave, and upon the latter's arrival, he slew those who had freed Seslav to the number of 70, blinded others, and executed without any investigation others who were entirely innocent. When Izyaslav arrived at the city, the inhabitants went forth to welcome him, and the men of cave received received him as their prince. Izyaslav thus resumed his throne on May 2nd. He scattered the Poles to forage and then had them secretly killed. Boleslav then returned to his native country. 
Izislav transferred the marketplace to the hill and drove Sevslav out of Polotsk, where he set up his own son, Mstislav. But the latter soon died, and Izislav enthroned in his stead his brother Sviatopolk, since Seslav had fled. End quote. See, told you, short and sweet and to the point. Now, in that quote, it said that the marketplace was transferred up onto one of the hills. And this was because in Izislav's stupidity, his supporters set first set fire to the entire Podil area of Kiev, which was basically the business center of the city and where the majority of merchants were located. Now, this turned the merchants against Izislav again, as did the ordinary Kievans, seeing as the massacre didn't really set Izislav up for adoration. But there was also another segment that turned against Izislav, the Pachesk monks and their abbot Anthony. Now, while he initially sided with Izislav after his return in the massacre of Kiev, he began to oppose him forcefully. In response, Izislav threatened to dig up the monastery's caves where hermit monks lived. In a sign of protest, Anthony left Kiev along with some of his fellow monks and settled in Chernihiv, where Sviatoslav reigned. Izislav had to apologize publicly to Anthony and asked him to return, but since Anthony was already 90 years old, he decided to appoint some other guy in his stead, and that guy, Theodosius, sided with Izislav. Duh. Now, in 1071-ish, the triumvirate returned. The height of this was the transfer of the relics of Saints uh, Boris and Hlip. They were the children of Voldemort the Great, and they were murdered by one of their brothers, but not Yaroslav the Wise for the cave and throne. Anyway, they were made saints for some reason that I still can't figure out. And Izislav wanted their remains interned near cave in Vizhodov. And so the three Yaroslav sons gathered there with their courts and also had a new diet or parliament or council. One of the main effects of this was the adoption of the new set of laws, the Pravda Yaroslavich in 1072, which modified their father's Ruska Pravda set of laws. The celebration of the new laws was to show the fraternal unity of the brothers to their kingdom. However, that was all for show. Sviatoslav and Sevolod accused Izislav of working against them with their cousin Seslav, the one who took the throne from Izislav. They were supported by the religious hierarchy of the time in this assessment. And so, Izislav was thrown out of the cave throne yet again, and yet again forced to flee cave in March 1073, and Sviatoslav took his place on the throne. Izislav was a bit smarter this time around, though, and while he fled again to Poland and his nephew cousin Boleslav, he also took his entire treasury with him. Now, there is a theory out there that the reason for the, his expulsion was because Sviatoslav knew that there were rumblings in cave of having the entire Voldemort line expelled from rule. And so he managed to take the throne before this could happen. And I mean, he had a pretty good reputation among the Cavans, seeing as he managed to fight off the Polovtian threat and mediated peace between Izislav and the cave inhabitants. But whatever the reason, he got the throne and Izislav got an adventure throughout Europe. Now, unlike his previous escape westward, 
Izyaslav had a very different reception in Poland. Boleslav didn't really take a wholesale campaign to get his uncle-cousin back on the throne. There was no mass mobilization, and there were some small battles around Voldemir Volinsk. But around Easter 1074, Boleslav made peace with Sviatoslav, mainly because Sviatoslav was his father-in-law. Sviatoslav married his daughter to secure the western border of Kiev and Rus when Seslav was making his rumblings heard. But now that his own father-in-law had won the throne of Kiev, Boleslav didn't really feel inclined to help his uncle. Plus, it helped that his father-in-law then helped him in his campaign against the Czechs. He then kicked out Izislav and his entire family from his court and took a large part of the Kievan treasury for himself, which I'm sure Sviatoslav was probably fine with seeing as his throne was now secure. Izislav then went to Germany since his wife Gertrude had familial connections there through her mother, Picheza, who was the daughter of Princess Matilda and Count Palantin Ezo. I don't know who these people are. However, his appeals to the Holy Roman Emperor Henry IV, were unsuccessful because Sviatoslav, once again, had more favorable terms with the emperor. And so the Isioslavs ended up with Dedi, the Margrave of the Saxon Ostmark, which is like southwestern Poland now, I think. Now, Dedi got along so famously with the Isioslavs that he married his stepdaughter, Kunigunda, to Isioslav's son, Yaropolk. Dedi presented Izyaslav to Henry IV at Mainz in January 1075 again, and this apparently went well, seeing as Henry then sent some guy named Burghard to speak with Sviatoslav in Kiev. But this guy came back with a shit ton of gifts, aka bribes, and I'll let the chronicler uh, Lambert Hasfeld describe what, quote, Burkhart brought the king so much gold, silver, and expensive clothing that no one remembers that such wealth was ever brought to the German state at once. The Rus prince paid the king with these gifts for so, for so that he does not help his brother, whom he expelled from the state. Quote. So anyway, it was enough to bribe Henry to ignore Izyaslav. But Henry also used the trip to establish more connections with Kiev and Rus as a way to establish more influence in European politics. Now, Izislav, while being a pretty bad ruler, wasn't all that stupid. He, in the meantime, sent his son Yaropolk and his new wife to meet with Pope Gregory the Seventh. Now, this act was a bit of a shock to Henry, and I will let Christian Raffensperger explain why. Quote, in regard to medieval politics, this was a bold move as well and indicates that Izyaslav understood the political-religious dynamic that was a part of the Gregorian reforms in 11th century Europe, specifically the ongoing conflicts between Henry IV and Gregory VII over investiture. By appealing personally to Henry IV at Mainz and sending his son Yaropolk to Gregory VII in Rome, Izyaslav was not only pragmatically attempting to find help through two different avenues, but potentially attempting to play two of the biggest powers in Christendom off one another, end quote. Now, it sort of worked, but it's a really hard stretch of a sort. The Pope was sympathetic, and after Yaropolk swore an oath of fidelitas to, on his father's behalf, the Pope granted them the kingdom of Rus in 1075. 
which is weird seeing as the Pope had absolutely no way of actually giving them an entire kingdom that wasn't under Roman influence, but whatever. This made him technically the first king of cave with papal authority and not Danilo of Hollage, which listener Jerry Kalin pointed out to me also. But frankly, Danilo was a better ruler. Easy Slav sort of sucked. The Pope also wrote to Boleslav and asked him to return Eziaslav's money. Now, I said sort of earlier, but the number one factor of getting Eziaslav back on the throne of Kiev was the sudden death of his brother and ruler of Kiev, Sviatoslav. Sviatoslav's short three-year reign included him expanded the cave in Shunihiv scriptoriums, and he clearly was diplomatically very skilled. I mean, he married the daughter of Count Etteler, and sister of Archbishop Burkhardt of Trier, the same guy that was sent by Henry to talk to him. But he had some sort of abscess on his body, and when the tumor and pus were cut away, an infection led to blood contamination and quick death in, seven, in 1076. The monks viewed this as God's punishment for violating Yaroslav's will, which, I mean, for that time, sort of makes sense. Um, but they didn't even bother burying him in cave, but placed him in a tomb in Shanihiv. And so the throne of cave was back up for grabs. Now, technique several, uh, now technically, several the third brother was to inherit the throne. But Eziaslav was in Poland, helping crown Boleslav along with some papal officials or something. When the news appeared, and Boleslav was now more inclined to help Eziaslav get his throne back. So in the summer of 1077, they both marched into Rus and Sevalod marched uh, to meet them. They met near Voldemir Volinsk and concluded a peace that would allow Eziaslav to reign in Kiev once again. Sevalod would then succeed him and ensure that that stupid lateral succession remained in place. But Eziaslav's third time on the throne was again very short-lived. Literally, he would die a year later when he was battling his nephew Oleg, Sviatoslav's son, for his brother Sevalod's lands. In fact, it was Sevalod who fled to Kiev and begged Eziaslav to help him get Chenihiv back, and Eziaslav agreed. Well, I mean, he sort of had to since he sort of owed Sevalod the damn throne. Anyway, the armies would meet in Nejatina Niva outside of Chenihiv, and Oleg's cavalry attacked the cave and infantry, and Eziaslav was killed by a spear blow. But they won in the end, and Oleg fled to Oh God, Tmuturakini. I do not know where that is. Isislav's body was then brought back to Kiev, interned in the Church of the Tits, uh, which was created by his great grandfather, grandfather, Voldemort the Great, but was also destroyed in 1270 with the sacking of Kiev by the Mongols. Uh, random fact: he was described as tall and beautifully built with a beautiful face and a mild, non-malicious character. But that non-malicious character pretty much didn't mean shit, since it was now the last brother's turn on the throne. So, Sevalod is Voldemort Monomach's father, the guy I talked about in episode 41. And he ruled Kiev for about 20 years. Most sources agree that he was very highly educated, he was a sophisticated aristocrat who knew six languages, Swedish, Greek, and Rus, or Ukrainian among them, and probably German and Latin. But he was a pretty relaxed politician. 
and there was chaotic interfamilial warfare throughout his reign. He also put the interests of his family above those of his kingdom, and that's how we saw the rise of his son, Voldemort, when to the throne. Again, episode 41. Now, his reign was marred with this sort of civil war because all of the cousins out there had a legitimate claim to the throne. Sviatoslav's sons, for example, wanted Chernihiv back. Vsevolo quickly made an agreement with the Polovtsians, who were allied with Sviatoslav's sons, who were then executed and exiled. When some of the other cousins, David and Volodad, uh, captured, oh god, Tmutarakan, again, no clue where this is, Sevola turned to Byzantium for help. Now, he was the only brother who had good relations with their southern empire na- um, neighbor. And even as early as 1074, he helped Byzantium and Georgia and suppressed some sort of rebellion in Chersonesus, modern Sevastopol in the Krim, and fuck Putin. Anyway, Byzantium was also holding that Oleg cousin captive on behalf of Sevalod, and so let him go at his request as he would return to Tmutarakan and sit as its prince. But then Oleg did the complete opposite, and he was finally defeated by Sevalod's son, Voldemort Monomach, who honestly did a lot of fighting on behalf of his father. At the same time as all of this, some other cousins were stirring up problems in the West, and Yadopolk, Eziaslav's son, wanted his lands back, whom Sevalod gave to some other cousins, the Rostislavich kids. Yadopolk rushed to the Poles for help, much like his father, and the two sides met outside of Voldemort Volinsk, where Yadopolk backed down, but then backed out of the agreement, tried to kill everyone, and eventually died himself. Now, the reason why the Poles weren't probably so gung-ho about helping Yadopolk was because Sevalod had the Holy Roman Emperor as his son-in-law, that same Henry IV from earlier. Now, the so-called love story between Henry and Ev... Oh, God, I'm going to screw up her name. Ev... Ev Praxia, uh, Sevalod's daughter, is extremely fucked up. So Epraxia was used as a tool to strengthen relations between the whole Roman Empire and Kiev and Rus. But Henry was already married. And so he married her off to some Henry II of Stad. That guy died pretty quickly, but luckily so did Henry IV's wife, Bertha. And so their alliance could still stand. Now, Epraxia went into a convent after her first husband died, but the abbess there was Henry's sister. And so when he came to visit, he fell in love and married her. This was in 1089. Now, why did Henry want an alliance with Cave and Rus so badly? Well, it came down to the fact that he was supposed to, he was supporting the newly elected anti-pope Clement III. I guess there were two popes or something stupid like that. I don't know. And he was against Gregory, who was allied with Poland and Isiaslav for God knows what reasons. And Henry really wanted to stick it to the Poles, who were also allied with Isiaslav and Sviatoslav. So anyways, with Henry allied with Sevalod, Poland was put in a weird position of having threats on both sides of their borders. And thus didn't really want to fuck around with a cave and throne anymore. Now, I said Henry and Epraxia's relationship was fucked up because, and this has nothing to, to do with Sevalod or anything. It's just weirdly, like, I just, I have no words about the story. So after they got married, Henry apparently took her to Italy. It prisoned her in some monastery. 
She fled to one of Henry's enemies and then accused him of holding her against her will. Having her participate in orgies and attempting a black mass on her naked body. I don't know if any of that is true. But it is said that Henry was in some sort of weird religious sect. Oh, and he also asked his son if he wanted his wife. His son said, fuck no, and revolted. And due to her orgy participation, the son she bore him could not definitely be named Henry's heir. And so she left Italy for Hungary and then went back to Kiev. So I extremely fucked up. But back to Sevalod. Now, along with the constant internal cousin warfare, he also had to deal with religious issues that also managed to get get Byzantium involved. The leader of the Orthodox Church, Metropolitan John II Prodram, was like a super crazy Orthodox person. Weirdly, though, not when it came to women. And he wanted to destroy all traces of paganism and Catholicism. He was against polygamy, the sale of Orthodox slaves to Jews and Celt Latins, didn't believe in the sanctity of Boris and Heave, but also thought that disobedience in the church should simply be punished and not maimed or killed. And believed a woman was to be considered, you know, a person. Huh. Things that went against Byzantium doctrine. Anyway, Sevolo disagreed with him about those relations between Orthodox and Catholics and brought in another John the Third from Byzantium to be the next Metropolitan. This guy, whose literal nickname was the Living Corpse, welcomed the council set up by Pope Urban II to reconcile Orthodox and Catholics. Not really much happened, though. Anyway, Sevalod also, towards the end of his life, thought he married his daughter Marina to the son of the Byzantium Emperor Leo Diogenes, but it turned out to be an imposter. So he really wasn't all that clear in the head in the end. Frankly, the best thing he probably did was get his son Voldemort as involved with ruling the kingdom as he did because that guy became a great ruler. Sevalod would die in 1093 from some sickness. Out of all the Yaroslav the Wise's sons, though, I think Sviatoslav probably would have been the best if not for that blood infection. Isiaslav tried to play the diplomatic game, but was too trusting of others. Well, Sevalod just couldn't muster enough energy to suppress the ambitions of his nephew, cousins, and whatever, brothers. I don't even know. And that is the story of the debacle that was the cave and throne after Yaroslav the Wise passed away. Now, before we end, I want to say that I will be going on our winter hiatus until February. So the next episode, well, the next new episode will be on February 1st. And so Happy New Year and Merry Everything. And now because Russia has decided to invade Ukraine, we need your help. Please donate to any humanitarian aid relief you can. I've also posted on my um, website some suggestions. Please take up the call and ask your local representatives to help Ukraine in any way they can. Send us weapons, uh, get NATO in there, and help us kick out the Russian fascist, fascist invaders once and for all. Please remember to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Wander Edge Ukraine. Check out our website, wanderingtheedge.net, for source information and other interesting extras. And if you're listening to me on Apple Podcasts or at Podcast Attic, please rate and review and leave a comment about anything, even any word historical tidbit you have about your culture or peoples. And if you're listening on all the other streaming sites, 
Thank you very much. And as always, happy wanderings, my friends. And Slava Ukraini i Hiroyam Slava.